0: It's good to be with you. Let's open our time together with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, as we prayed, you will hold us fast on a morning when we are thinking about those who gave their lives in defense of our country on Memorial Day weekend In a morning where we are thinking about the violence in our own community with a shooting in a middle school. On a morning where we're just coming in, carrying all the weight of the world on our shoulders, we need you to remind us that you will, in fact, hold us fast. And that your word will provide us with what our souls so desperately need. Speak through me. Let your word find purchase in our hearts. Change us to be disciples walking in the light, the dawn of the kingdom. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Sometimes the dawning of a new era is obvious. On April 9th, 1865, General Robert E. Lee surrendered his Confederate forces to the Union, bringing an end to what we know as the Civil War. Uh, Precious and uh, and I were down in the city center. We went to a place called Sailor and Soldiers uh, Memorial. And uh, if you go there, you can see um, a monument to the men who gave their lives to bring about that end of the war. Indiana gave 24,000 men, 24,000 casualties to bring that about. By the time the papers were signed and Robert Lee and his army had surrendered, it was obvious. Our country would never be the same. A new era had dawned. Other times, the dawning of a new era is more subtle. If you back up a few hundred years to 1439, a guy named Johannes Gutenberg invented the precursor to the modern printing press. Uh, At the time, virtually no one understood the significance of what he had done. In fact, Gutenberg didn't even get to benefit from it much himself. He went bankrupt before the money could start rolling in. But his invention proved to be the type of thing that turns the world upside down. Through the spread of ideas and information through cheap printing, uh, literacy boomed around the world. Princes and kingdoms lost their purchase of power. Entire religious establishments were turned upside down all because of a little invention that at the time no one heard about. Sometimes a dawning of a new era starts subtly, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a big impact. Matthew chapter 4 puts before us the dawning of a new era. One that starts off as just a a single beam of light in the horizon of history. But over time has grown in breadth and intensity, And one day will fill the whole world itself. It's talking about the dawning of the new era, of the coming of the kingdom of heaven and the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. And the reason why it's in the Bible is because we can so easily live as if this new era has not come. We act as if we're still living in the darkness. We become discouraged by the evil and discouraging things that happen around us even as believers in the Lord Jesus sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we get caught up with all the things happening as citizens of this world so we need to be reminded that the kingdom of heaven has dawned and that not only has it dawned it is calling out to each of us to live in light of it to come follow Jesus with our very lives We'll see this as we study Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25, in three sections. First, in 12 through 17, we'll see the the dawn of the kingdom. Then, in verses 18 through 22, we'll see the call of the kingdom. And finally, in verses 23 through 25, we'll see the spread of the kingdom. And all of us will see that if, if we are to live faithfully in this world, we must keep our eyes on the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here and that it calls each of us to live in light of it as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Let's begin by looking at verses 12 through 17, the dawn of the kingdom. Now, maybe you found yourself in a situation where you were yearning for daylight to come. Um, If you're a young parent, uh, you've probably had the experience where your children decide to remind you of just what the wee hours of the morning look like. Uh, They decide that that's the time they want mommy and daddy. And so sometimes you get kind of stuck in this cleaning up, uh, changing diapers, keeping them from crying, whatever you have to do. And you just think, man, I just can't wait for the sun to come up. Then reinforcements will arrive. I once had the experience of yearning for the dawn. Uh, with a particularly unhelpful group of friends when we went camping together. Um, there were four of us. Uh, two of them went ahead to set up the camp, and uh, they got their, their tent up and running and all that and did the preparations. And then a friend and I were, were going to come a little later. Well, our a little later turned into a lot later when we got delayed along the way. And uh, by the time we arrived, it was starting to get dark. Now, if you've never had the experience... Um, if you are a city slicker like myself, um, turns out setting up a tent is more difficult than it looks. Um, and it turns out setting it up in the dark is even more difficult. And uh, if you really want to make it fun, you can do what we did. You set it up in the dark with inexperienced people in the pouring rain. Um, so, you know, our, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now our, our, friends, they took that opportunity, um, to uh, point and laugh at us from the safety and warmth of their tent while we struggled in the dark. Uh, But don't worry, reinforcements finally came. Uh, One of our camping neighbors, a guy in an RV next to us, he came out. um, And he was shirtless and had an alcoholic beverage in his hand. And uh, he was less than sober and his advice was less than helpful. Um, So by the time we got this tent up, I mean, we are just soaked and cold and miserable. And we got in the tent, and it was still wet inside, and that was an awful night. I have never been so glad to see the sun come up in the morning, right? Doesn't dawn bring with it a promise of a better day? Isn't that why we we look hopefully at the sunrise when it's been a tough night? If we're going to understand why the dawning of the kingdom is such a big deal, we have to understand why the night is so dark. Verse 12 tells us that when John was arrested, when Jesus heard that John was arrested, that he withdrew. Now, back up and think with me for a moment of what this would have meant to a faithful Israelite back in that day. Think of where God's people were. Their homeland had been conquered multiple times. Northern kingdoms gone off into exile, southern kingdom off into exile. Finally, they get back in the land, but the northern kingdoms never actually come back. And the, the the experience they have in the land is one of being occupied, first by the Greeks, then by the Romans. Sure, they got a temple rebuilt, but you can't say they were spiritually vibrant. Spiritual hypocrisy was everywhere. The, the people in power used it for their own selfish gain. And, and if you looked geographically, the, the southern area, maybe you could say there was some semblance of religious, religiosity, but up north, it was more, almost as Greek as it was Jewish. In that sort of backdrop, suddenly, hundreds of years have gone by, and suddenly, a man comes and breaks God's multi-hundred-year silence. He's wearing a weird get-up, camel's hair, he's eating locusts but he thunders like a prophet of old. He speaks as one who speaks God's very words. That's John the Baptist. And he comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, and people start responding. They start getting baptized. They start trying to change their ways. You, you could feel the excitement of the spiritually rigorous and the people in those days just thinking maybe this is what's going to happen maybe the messiah really is coming the kingdom of heaven might be right around the corner and then john gets arrested what does that do to you at that moment prophet of god in jail herod antipas decides he doesn't like being called out for his sin so he uses the power he has tosses him in a cell and one a cell and one day soon John will literally lose his head. It's a dark day. You could be forgiven for thinking that Jesus might well have given in to the spiritual depression of that dark day. Right? It's saying that he withdrew from the spiritual center of his day. He left the area of Ju- Judea and Jerusalem, and, and he traveled up north. Is this Jesus getting cowardly? no. I don't think so. I think what we are seeing is the transition from one era to another. And Jesus moving, and by his very movements, Matthew wants us to see that in the darkest possible place, the dawning light of the kingdom will be seen. Jesus heads up to the northern area, the area where the people never fully came back. Uh, it's an area where the Jews that remained ended up intermarrying with the Gentiles. And, uh, and so th- that area was much more influenced by Greek culture and by the norms of the people around them. It was considered a place where the less spiritual people lived. And that's the place where Jesus withdraws to in order to begin his ministry. Verses 15 and 16 uh, sorry, uh, yeah, fifteen and 16 make this very connection for us. They use Jesus' movement into this region of Galilee on the lips of the prophet Isaiah to say, the, the dawning of the kingdom will come in the darkest of dark places. Look at verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned where it's the darkest, the light of the dawn is appreciated the most. And Jesus starts his ministry, ushering in the kingdom of heaven in the least likely place, in the darkness of the region of Galilee. Galilee was a prosperous area. Uh, Even if it was spiritually dark, it wasn't economically backward. Um, The Sea of Galilee is really a lake. It's about seven kilometers by 11. And there was tons of fishing, and economic activity from being kind of a crossroads town. Ideas and people flow freely through this. Jesus ends up using one of the towns, Capernaum, as his base of operations. It, uh, it communicates the darkness of the area, but it also communicates that one day this dawning of the kingdom is going to move out from the bounds of what uh, a Jew in Jesus' day might have thought it would. If we were to follow this thread all the way forward to Matthew 28, we'll see that the Gentiles will be recipients of this kingdom of heaven also. But for now, we need to realize Jesus is starting in the darkest of the dark places. And what is it that he does? How does the kingdom of heaven start shining into this dark area? Well, it's through the foolishness of preaching. Look with me in verse 17. Verse 17. From that time, that's a phrase Matthew uses to to signal a new era in Jesus' ministry. He uses it three times. Each time, it's a big shift. So from here forward, this is what Jesus is doing. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Two words that Jesus preaches. First is repent. Second, that the kingdom of heaven is near. That first word, repent, is really fundamental to the message of Christianity. If you go back to the great reformer Martin Luther, when he wrote his 95 theses, the very first one was on this very topic. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. At its core, repentance is admitting we are wrong and God is right. It carries with it the image of turning around from traveling one direction and doing an about face to travel the other. If you could characterize your life as being self-directed, going after your own desires, the Bible would call that sin and rebellion against God. Repentance is turning away from your own way and instead turning back to God. Jesus preaches repentance much like John the Baptist did. The difference is John was saying, repent, the kingdom's right around the corner. And Jesus is saying, repent, the kingdom is here. Now let's just be honest. Many people today imagine a Jesus that would never utter this word. That would never call any of us to repent. We love the thought of Jesus loving. Thought of Jesus, the wise teacher. Jesus who affirms us wherever he finds us. And yet, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he starts with the bad news of, friend, you need to repent to enter the kingdom of God. I wonder if you are here this morning, and maybe you're checking out Christianity. Um, I hope you feel free to to join us here on a Sunday morning. I hope you feel free to ask questions. Um, One of the things you'll find is Christians love it when you ask them questions to be able to explain the faith to us. We understand it's confusing. We're, trust us, we're constantly learning about it. But pretty basic to being a Christian is this idea that if you were to meet Jesus, he wouldn't just give you a warm hug and say, your life's awesome. He would say, most fundamentally, friend, your life is headed the complete wrong direction. You need an about-face. You need to repent. He believes that so strongly that he actually gave his life so that your repentance could accomplish something. So that when you turn away from your sin and you turn to God, there's actually a pathway for you back because Jesus actually gave his life to pay your penalty. We can't imagine a Jesus that makes us comfortable, that fits right in with the day and age which we live. The Bible won't let us. It tells us Jesus started with the bad news of repent. But it tells us also that he followed that up with the good news that the kingdom is near. Now, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, that's just a way of talking about how God's rule, his ownership over his creation is beginning to be seen. There's a sense in which the kingdom of heaven is here. In the coming of Jesus and his work on the cross and the resurrection and the salvation that we can have by putting our trust in him, God has started to fix what's broken in this world, starting by making people like you and me whole. But there's another sense in which the kingdom of heaven won't fully be here until a day in the future. When Jesus returns and every, uh, every uh, rule, every authority will be put under his feet. Until that day, we live kind of in the middle with the reality that Jesus is king and that the kingdom of heaven is here. We're supposed to live in light of it. And also that we're looking forward to a day when there'll be no more resistance and righteousness will reign upon the earth. But the good news of the gospel is that the kingdom being here means that repentance is worth it. As hard as it is to admit we're wrong, As hard as it is to open up and say that, yes, I'm a sinner. We know that the kingdom of heaven and all the blessings that come with it, the joy that comes in following Jesus, is worth the pain of repentance. Jesus preaches this message as an itinerant preacher going around this region of Galilee to literally hundreds of thousands of people. All little villages again and again saying, repent, kingdom of heaven is here. 2,000 years later, we need that same word ourselves. Friends, the kingdom has dawned, and it has claim on our lives. Now, you may, may be wondering, if a kingdom's dawned and has claim on our lives, I get the repentance piece, but is there anything more to it? Is it just stop sinning? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we move to in verses 18 through 22. Not just the dawn of the kingdom, but the calling of the kingdom. In this scene, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Again, that was more of a large lake. And uh, it was a very prosperous area because of all the fishing going along. And he comes across two separate sets of brothers engaged in this fishing activity. And he does something unusual. He, He walks up to them and he says, follow me. It's unusual at a couple levels. One, fishing was not exactly the type of activity that you would just drop in the ancient world, particularly that region. It was a prosperous, really good job to have. If you got in as a fisherman and you got in with a a good company or maybe had a family business in it, that that could be quite lucrative. That was good work. But Jesus, in the middle of them setting up their nets and tossing them in the sea, he says, drop it all and come follow me. In so doing, he tells them to do two things, to leave and to live on his mission. First, he tells them to leave. Now, that would have been a hard word because of the economic security they'd be leaving behind. That'd be a hard word even doubly because of uh, living in an honor-based culture, uh, particularly in the the case of uh, James and John. uh, They would be leaving behind, they'd be breaking ties with their father. That's just not something you did. That's taking your social standing and lighting it on fire. But Jesus tells them, leave it behind to come and find life, following me. See what the text says there? It says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. We found this to be true. If you're a Christian, you know this, don't you? That there's no price too high to follow Jesus. There's there's no price you wouldn't pay for the joy of being a disciple of his. These men recognize there's a cost, but they're willing to pay it. They leave their boats and their nets and their families and everything behind, and they follow Jesus. The second reason this is odd is because that's just not the way that rabbis got disciples back in the ancient world. Back in the ancient world, to be a disciple of a rabbi, you would come and you would ask permission You might even grovel a little bit. It was up to the disciple to come and ask. But Jesus flips the script here. He's the one that comes and he's the one that calls them. This shows Jesus is a different type of teacher. He's got an authority unlike anything in this world. And if any of you this morning are Christians, yes, it's true at some point you decided to leave your old life behind to follow Jesus. But it's equally true. You never would have come in the first place if he hadn't have called your name. To be a Christian is to hear Jesus' call, to leave it all behind, to follow him. And as we follow him, friends, what we find? We find joy. We find life. Because he doesn't just tell us, leave things. He tells us also to live for him. You see that word he tells them there? He tells them that I will make you fishers of men, right there in verse 19. He gives them a new purpose in this world. He uses the the image of their old job, and he says, you're going to be catching something different from here on. You're going to be catching people and bringing them into the kingdom. Now, these men would turn out to be four of the twelve, four of the original disciples. Now, think about the cost that they ended up paying. Not only did they leave their nets and their fathers, Church history would tell us that every one of them but John would give their lives. They'd be martyred, living on on mission for Jesus. And yet they are the strongest testimony we have of the joy and the peace that comes when you live on mission for him. We need to ask ourselves, if we're missing that joy and peace in our life, Is it because we have failed to follow the pattern laid out for us here? Is the kingdom calling us, and are we not responding with our full hearts the way we should? Maybe there's something in your life right now, something from your old life, that you just haven't been willing to leave behind to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in a romantic relationship that you know God is not pleased with but the cost of leaving it behind has just been too high for what you think you'll gain in following Jesus. Maybe it's a habit, something that you know you should kick, and for a season you've been able to find freedom, but you just keep finding yourself right back where you started. And you know it's affecting you spiritually, but you just can't seem to get over it. Friend, there's no cost that's not worth paying if it means getting to follow Jesus without encumbrance. Maybe this morning you need to find someone that you can admit this to and ask for help. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to to speak wisdom into your life. And see if that joy that the Bible talks about following Jesus might actually be something you could have. Friends, don't be afraid. Thousands and thousands of believers before you have paid that heavy price and they've all found Jesus be worth it we've got to leave our nets our boats our family whatever it is encumbering us to follow Jesus it'll be worth it maybe the reason that you've been lacking joy isn't that you haven't left things behind but it's frankly that you're just not living on mission for Jesus Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and there's no overt sins in your life. There's nothing that you're doing that someone around you would point out and say, hey, that's obviously sinful. I'm glad for that. But ask yourself the question, when was the last time you went fishing? When was the last time someone actually heard or was invited to hear about Jesus from your lips? Now, I know some of us are more gifted in evangelism than others. I, I understand that. But all of us, as disciples of Jesus, we, we have this mission. We are supposed to be out there fishing for souls. And, friend, when you put your life to that task, what a joy it is. You find that this is what you were made for. Once you get over that fear that people are going to reject you or something bad's going to happen, friend, uh, let me tell you, you're going to find something. Most people don't bite. Most people are actually very kind when you say, hey, can I tell you a little bit about what I did on Sunday? We live in an area where the cost of going out fishing for Jesus is actually remarkably low, and yet we let ourselves get paralyzed or just plain old distracted, and we tune out the call of the kingdom on our lives. Friend, follow Jesus. He's calling you. True joy can be yours if you follow him and live in light, his kingdom. But you may be wondering, okay, it's important to live in light of the kingdom. I know the kingdom is here, but does it really make any difference? I mean, Jesus isn't back yet, and I can't speed up how quickly he gets back. What's the point? Shouldn't we just sit back and wait? Well, verses 22 through 25 show us that we must be on mission living in light of the kingdom of heaven's arrival because the kingdom of heaven is actively spreading and we get to be a part of it. Now in this section, Matthew moves to, he kind of zooms out a little bit and he, he starts talking about, in general terms, what Jesus was doing during this era of his ministry, during the months that led up to the, uh, the months of his traveling around Galilee as an itinerant preacher, he tells us what Jesus was up to. And you can characterize uh, what he was doing with, in two ways. He was teaching, and he was doing miraculous works. So in verse 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Now, again, as an itinerant preacher, Jesus would have been going from village to village to people to people, not staying in one place, preaching over and over and over again. And what was it he was teaching? Well, it what we saw earlier. It's uh, the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news that the kingdom of God is here. And it's time for us to repent and be ready. But he was also doing miracles that came alongside that, uh, that message. Uh, these miracles had both the effect of making people whole healing their bodies, uh, breaking them free from enslavement of various kinds. And they also taught us spiritual lessons about what Jesus would one day do on the cross. That as the kingdom of heaven breaks into this world, as it begins to spread, that it actually makes people whole. That it actually changes lives. Jesus did this and the results are predictable great preacher with miracles behind him, he starts to get famous. He would have been trending on Instagram and Facebook. Crowds would gather around wherever he was because they wanted to see what this was about. You feel the buzz? Do you feel the excitement? The kingdom is spreading, and it will continue to spread for thousands of years. We are 2,000 years downstream from this event. And do you know now that the light of the kingdom is shining even brighter than it was back then? Maybe you're not aware of it because so much of our experience in the West as Christians is talking about real concerns we have about the decline of Christianity, about denominations that are having to close church after church because attendance is dwindling, how the culture around us is less and less religious and less and less open to the message of Christianity. Now, friend, can I just bring a a, a slight corrective just as a a historical piece of where we are in history? Yes, it's true. There are many concerns for us here in the West, and we might have some real concerns for the the road ahead for our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and the sort of societies they will live in and maybe the cost of following Jesus going up. And yet, friends, realize there are more Christians today than there ever have been in history. If you were to look at a a place like Africa, you'd find over the last 100 years, the explosion of believers in Jesus is hard to believe. This is a a quote from Chuck Colson. He said, over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to now being near 500 million today. One in four Christians in the world presently reside in Africa. Africa. And the Pew Research Center estimates that it will grow to be 40% of Christianity will be in Africa by the year 2030. It's not that the kingdom of heaven has started receding or that there's less light in this world. It's just it's shining in different parts of the world. And as believers in the West, we need to get used to that idea. It's true, on a day like Memorial Day, we rightfully should feel thankful for the country we live in and feel patriotic to a degree. And yet we got to first and foremost believe that our allegiance is as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. As hard as it may be to stomach that the center of Christianity may not be in the United States several decades from now. Friends, we shouldn't be so discouraged that we have doom and gloom over the future. Of all people in this world, as Christians, we should have hope. We know that the kingdom will keep advancing until the day King Jesus comes back. And we know that he will win. His resurrection guarantees it. So why are we afraid? Why are we pessimistic about the future? Just a personal word from my own experience. I know I get spiritually discouraged when I start listening too much. To political talking heads and trying to figure out which direction the culture is going. Now, we're going to be doing a sermon through the Sermon, on, uh, sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount over summer. We'll, we'll talk about how Christians are to be salt and light and how it's really important for us to use our place in society well. And yet, there's an unhealthy level where we can be getting the message about what our future is going to hold from the world around us even our political allies, in a sense, instead of from what God's word says about what the future will hold. As Christians, we need to be the most hopeful of all because the kingdom of heaven's here. It's called us. And brothers and sisters, it's spreading. And we get to be a part of it. We've seen that the kingdom of heaven's dawned that it calls us, that it's spreading, that each of us are called to live in light of it. I opened up with a mention of the the Civil War. It was a dark time in our country's history. And at the end of it, it really was the dawning of a new era. Uh, Slaves were set free. Our country had a, a new normal from that point forward. There was a man who experienced that firsthand. Uh, His name is very close to mine. He went by the name of Thomas Johnson. He grew up, he couldn't just get the T in there, but anyway. um, He grew up as a slave in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, pretty quickly, he ended up uh, serving some of the officers in the uh, Confederacy. um, Right near the front lines. He saw horrible, horrible things. He endured much, and the days leading up to his freedom, where it was obvious the South was going to lose, he he could hardly contain his excitement for that day. What a dawn of a new era that must have been. To know he was once a slave, 28 years a slave, and now he'd be a free man. And yet, you know, as amazing as that new era was, an even bigger one dawned in his life before that. Because while he was still a slave, while he still wore chains as his garb, he met someone that told him about Jesus. And these are his w- words. And When he came to trust Jesus, he said, everything appeared to be different to me. Then I had a free soul. Johnson became a follower of Jesus. And once he secured his freedom after the Civil War was over, he proved that he had heard the call of the kingdom. Because what do you think he used his life for? He went on to become a preacher. And one day, he finally fulfilled his dream. He actually made it over to Africa as a missionary. This is what he said about his desire for that day. He said, one day, I must go to Africa the land of my fathers, to preach the gospel to my long benighted people. You hear that yearning? That's someone that's seen the dawning of the kingdom who's heard its call and longs to be part of its spreading. Brothers and sisters, may that be so of us. King Jesus has preached, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. Let's live in light of the kingdom He's ushered in. Let's find joy as we follow him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the great privilege of seeing your rule and reign break into this world. Thank you that as a church, we get to be a little outpost of heaven. A little area that shines the bright, of the dawn, the light of the dawn of the kingdom. A little brighter here in Castleton. Will you help us to live up to that? Help us to live in light of it. If there's anything holding us back? Anything we need to let go of? Anything keeping us from living on mission for you? Would you free us from it today? Would you give us the joy of letting us be part of your kingdom spreading in this world? till the day Jesus comes back and we see the splendor of the kingdom in its fullness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.